Welcome to the First Generation Burden, a series of conversations with immigrants and the children of immigrants. My name is Rich Tu and I'm your host. So welcome to Season 3, Episode 4. Uh, today we're going to mix up the format and take a road trip, actually, to Overthrow Boxing Gym in Brooklyn, New York, to talk to Ramel Malabanin, or better known as Row the Show. And if you guys don't know Roe, Roe is a fighter, a trainer, and a former mixed martial arts champion. We talk about his upbringing in the Philippines, how he got into fighting with a conservative Asian upbringing, and also what it means to fight. Also, we talk about how he submitted someone in competition with a Kimura lock. It's actually a really good story. But before all that, I just want to thank Des Gin, our sponsor. Des Gin is an American modern gin with a mission to unite design with the spirit industry. Designed both inside and out, it merges the traditional and the unconventional. So thanks to Des Gin again. So one thing that fascinates me with someone like Rose, not just the the artistry and the mindset with how he operates, but also the environment. And by that, I mean just the sights and sounds of a gym are very specific and almost spiritual, of which we do talk about. But uh, I just want to play a little bit of audio from one of his training sessions just to give you an idea of the intensity. Um, also, thanks to Matteo Liberatore for capturing all the audio for this interview. Good. Two jabs. Good. Don't rush. Don't rush. Two jabs. Block. Block. Hook. That's it. You see, you were rushing that last jab. Got it? Okay. Let's do it again. From the combination. Go. Nice. Do it again. Fire. Fire. Now. Money. Very nice. Again. Fire. Fire. Now. Excellent. Very nice. Break. All right, so hopefully that got you guys in the mood for this one. So without further delay, here's our conversation with Ro the Show. All right, so if you could just start, uh, tell us your name. Uh, my full name is Romel Malabanan, but people call me Ro. What's your What's your show name? <laughs> people call me Ro the Show. Where, where did that name come from? Um, uh, that's a great question. My name came from, um, I, I used to, when I owned a boxing gym, uh, I used to spar and... I was very elusive at the time, um, and people just kept calling me. The, the, it's like a show because like everybody would watch. So it's like then it just stuck to me. One of my fighters called me Row the Show, mm-hmm. and so kind of just stuck. So where were you born? Um, I was born in the, in the island of the Philippines mm-hmm. uh, in a city called Lucena City. Uh, I came to this country when I was nine years old. What do you, uh, What are your memories of home? And do you, do you have any memories of home? Uh, yes, I do have memories of home. Um, uh, memories of home. For, uh, so from from one years old to nine years old, I was pretty much bounced around from family members to family member, um, and I grew up without without my mother and my father. Pretty much from from one year old to nine years old. Mm-hmm. So then, what brought you to America? Um, my mother went to America to become. Uh, she was a registered nurse here, and my father was in Saudi Arabia. So their whole goal was to bring us all to the Philipp- uh, to from the Philippines to the United States so that um, they can, you know, uh, look for the American dream, which is like, you know, to thrive and, you know, stuff like that. What was your dad, what was your dad doing in Saudi Arabia? Um, my father was um, working in the airline industry, uh, menial labor, pretty much just, just working in uh, baggage and stuff like that. Um, at the time, the, the Philippines didn't really have much opportunities for um, people to, to leave the country and make money. So that's one, one opportunity. And my mother was in, uh, came here because um, 
she really didn't want to be a nurse, but it was it was one way. It was a ticket to get to get out of the country and be here in America. And she was a nurse in the Philippines. Uh, she became a nurse in. The oh, she became a nurse. Yeah. yeah. When did when did your parents make the decision to to separate in that way? And I'm, yeah. that must have been hard. Oh uh, yeah. Um, when I was two years old, um, uh, that's pretty much all I recall. So at two years old, uh, my mother, my father, my father went to Saudi Arabia. My mother went to America. So when you came to America, did your parents reunite? Were, were you a family yes. unit by yes. that point? So what happened was my father, after a few years, um, at around eight years old, he finally came back to Saudi Arabia. Um, and then my mother was in, in, in America trying to get all the paperwork together and all that stuff. And at nine years old, we were finally able to be reunited in Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> oh, wow. Where in Brooklyn? Um, it's like Flatbush uh, around that area. I don't recall the, I just remember the street is called 240 Willoughby Street. Um, <laughs> I don't remember the, uh, there was a park right next to it. It was like literally the, my, my marker point is like the juniors, um, which is like a couple of blocks down. So what were your memories of New York at the time when you got here? And can you, can you, um, can you give us the, your mindset or your family's mindset arriving here, what your thoughts were? Oh man, um, when I first came to this country or when I landed, um, I, we were picked up by a, a station wagon, uh, not a station, a, a, a minivan. Uh, it was my mother's um, friend, a Filipino friend. Um, and I just recall all the, the lights, everything was like, the, the, the ride home was just pretty much just like, like the, every, the roads were clean, the lights were pristine. It was just like, there was a newness about it. Um, and I guess, you know, when I got when I got to the apartment, you know, my mother greeted us with a bunch of toys, uh, He-Man characters and all that stuff. Um, but I do recall my father um, pulling us to the side. And and I think this kind of like just left an impact uh, in my life, uh, at least at an early age in my life. It's just <laughs> like, you know, my father pulled me to the side and was like, son, remember this. Um, you know, you're in America. You're, you're an immigrant. You'll never be the. You'll never be good enough here in this country. Hmm. So imagine that, like at nine years old, that's the first thing. <laughs> that's the first thing I hear from my father. So it's kind of like, whoa. <laughs> Did you believe that at the time? Do, you, do um, you, and how do you feel about that now? Uh, it's 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 interesting. At, at the time when my father did say that to me, I had no idea what uh, he was mentioning. Um, but now I I've seen a lot of um, things in my uh, how I grew up. Um, I had a lot of conversation, internal uh, dialogue within myself. Is like I'm never good enough. I'm not good enough. Um, you know, I'll never be as good as in this person because they have um, you know they're they were born here or something like that. I, I always felt like. I was the underdog. I always feel as if like uh, I had something to prove growing up. Uh, do I have that now? Maybe a little bit here and there, but it doesn't have a grip on me as, as much as it used to. Did you guys know a lot of Filipinos in Brooklyn? Um, the Filipinos community was very tight. Um, my father was, a, they, my parents became a Masonic, uh, uh, they, part, they became part of the Masons. So a lot of my, um, parties were surrounded by the Masonic Lodge uh, on 23rd Street and 6th Avenue. I remember uh, being there a lot and most of our family events were just uh, uh, Filipino oriented. Yeah. Were you guys really religious too? Did, did that have anything to do with oh, the absolutely. religious community? <laughs> uh, growing up, I was born a Catholic. 
Uh, so I was in church um, pretty much every weekend, every Sunday. I was even an altar boy at one point. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, so let's just shift over a little bit to uh, to sports. Like when you started getting athletic and when, when did that start in the Philippines or did your athleticism start here? Um, so my athletic, uh, I've always wanted to play football growing up because um, all my friends were doing it and I was like, I want to play football too, you know? Uh, but in the Philippines at the time, uh, Filipino basketball was like a big thing. And since I was, I'm a pretty tall Filipino, I'm five foot 11. Um, and the average Filipino is like five, 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 six, something like that. I'm, I'm pretty tall. So my parents thought it would be a great idea for me to, to play basketball. Um, and to this day, I hate basketball. <laughs> Because I want my parents, I felt like my parents prevented me from doing something that I love um, or I wanted to do. And so I have a disdain for basketball because I, the rebel at heart. Um, so, so football, I did do football a little bit, but it wasn't for me as well because the coach was kind of a, a jerk. So I, the rebel against, uh, or the rebel inside of me again, once, um, just like said, screw this, you know, I'm just going to do my own thing. And um, so the athletic ability, my athletic abilities came from like playing a lot of handball, actually, by the projects. <laughs> what projects? Um, so when I was 13 years old, my father uh, and my mother decided to move us to Staten Island. Um, and it, it was called, I can't remember the name of the, the area, but... Um, Anyways, it's in Staten Island, um, and we, my parents bought a house, a small house. Um, they got a great deal, but, um, you know, it was right across the street from the projects, and I was like, what the heck, you know? Uh, so all my friends uh, turned out to be, like, uh, very people from the, the neighborhood, and we, we were always, like, looking for something to do. We had a lot of energy, and um, the, the closest handball court was inside the projects. So every day in the summers, especially, I would be in the in the projects um, playing handball with the best of them. And, um, you know, in the beginning I had a I wasn't that good, but then I started to hold my own to the point where um, people would partner with me so that they can hustle the next person. I would never see any of that money, <laughs> but, you know, we would always win um, using me. And um, and yeah, so that's where my athletic abilities became. But I, I just found myself to be. Uh, super athletic, um, you know, growing up with my friends, we'd play uh, football outside um, without any like gear, anything like just tackle, you know, stuff like that or basketball. Uh, even though I sucked at it, I was really good defensively and we played um, no blood, no foul kind of rules. <laughs> what what does no blood, no foul? Like, how, how much did you guys keep to that? <laughs> oh, yeah, it was pretty rough. Um, yeah. So if you didn't if you didn't bleed, there was no foul. So if you're like smacking somebody really hard in the face and there's no blood, it's still good. How, how old were you when you were doing this? Um, you know, anywhere from 13 to 16, possibly. Yeah. yeah. I, I want to hear a story about uh, a, a no blood, no foul scenario. <laughs> give, me, was, give me a couple of anecdotes. Um, it, it wasn't it wasn't much. It's just that, um, I mean, I, I there were a lot of scary situations. Let's just put it that way. Um you know, there was one guy that um, me and my friend, we were doing um, a playing 21 against a guy and he just got out of jail. Uh, once again, I'm playing basketball in the projects. Um, and this guy was just like, he, he was just like, out, out, he was just beating us. But he was doing it in a way where it was like very street, very like, you know, like screw you, you know, oh, you guys suck and this like that. So 
it came to a point where it's like, you know, my friend was like ready to hit him, you know, and and, and I was like, all right, I'm, I got your back, you know, but but some guy, when some old guy in the corner was like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, and um, you know, we didn't know he just got out of jail, but I'm glad that my friend didn't like, you know, take it to the next level because, um, yeah, it could have been really bad. <laughs> when did you start fighting? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I started fighting. In the streets. <laughs> okay, well, when was your, okay, so when was your first fight? Um, like in the ring or otherwise? Oh, man. Um, my first fight was probably in the Philippines. Um, and I had a guy that was that would bully me. Um, I still remember his name. His name is Sherwin. Um, and he was like, he was like a, he was a new, new student. And he just like kept picking on everyone, uh, including me. And then uh, one day I got into a fight with him. And uh, in the Philippines, we wore our school uniform, um, a button-down shirt, shorts. Um, and uh, I, I can't remember the fight, but all I remember was just like my, my shirt tore. And when I got back to, the, to my house, my, uh, my aunt told my father, and I got in trouble for that. So um, should I go on on how my father disciplined me? Sure. Yo, let's let's get as real as possible. Okay, I would love yeah, that. totally. I mean, I'm Filipino. I, I get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. For so me, my, it was a slipper or a fly swatter. Oh, uh, yeah. No, my father made me kneel uh, for at least, I think, 30 minutes to an hour with books in my hand like this. So, and if I dropped, the, if I dropped it, you know, I was in, I was in trouble. Yeah. So, get yeah, the, that was like... Get those up, bro. Oh, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I had books in my hand and I was like just crying and I'm like, what the hell, you know? Like, I, and I don't even recall, like, was it my fault or was it his fault? I, I don't even recall. Um, but, yeah, I've had a lot of uh, 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 street fights. <laughs> uh, was that a normal occurrence back in the Philippines? In the Philippines, no. I, I don't think it was. Uh, it's just my path, I guess. Yeah. What about um, in Brooklyn? Uh, yeah, in Brooklyn, um, yeah, I kind of, um, I think my, my brother and I were, I was probably 11 or 12. Uh, and my, I remember my, my brother and I was walking home one, one winter uh, uh, day after school. And, you know, my brother and I used to like, uh, like play around a lot. And then uh, one day we just, I just noticed that like two guys were just following us, like two teenager ki kids. And, um, you know, my brother and I were, were, were laughing and, and, and playing. And then all of a sudden the tone changed because he, my, my brother saw that I, I was silent. And then uh, the two kids came, came, uh, came behind us and was like, hey, you guys got the time? And I was like, and, and, I, and we just kept walking. I just kept walking with my brother, you know, and we were just silent. Um, and, you know, fortunately our building or the entrance to the building was close, but it was like an uphill uh, shortcut. Uh, towards a garage and there's a back door so I cut that right with my brother and the guy followed us but I remember him um, just like slipping and fell and I turned around and I snickered a little bit and then um, you know and then uh, he just just punched me in the face you know and then I, I just recall that the because the, it was cold my face was cold so I just recall it being like you know like really really painful um, but ever since then, that, that really shifted, I guess, who I was as a person at an early age. Um, you know, like I said, like my brother and I, our relationship was, he's younger than me. Um, we were very like two kids, you know, just playing and having a good time to now where I felt like I, 
I felt helpless and I needed to protect him. And um, yeah, it's just like that at that moment, I realized that like, yeah, I got to step up. I got to like learn how to fight. I got to learn to defend myself. I got to learn to defend my brother, people mm -hmm. I love. So in a, in a way that I guess that's one uh, uh, direction in that uh, in the fight world. Um, but it was really more to protect uh, uh, the people I love. Huh. Well, and uh, how did that manifest itself? Like, when did you start uh, like seeking a trainer? When did you start yeah. stepping into a no, ring? That's like a great question. Um, yeah, it, it, there were a lot of like experiences in my life where like I, I wanted to take up martial arts, my, but being in a Filipino community or, or Asian, just my parents just stressed the education more than anything else. So I never had an opportunity to uh, uh, find a master in a sense, or like you know somebody to teach me martial arts. So I got into I I, I got I got into a lot of fights um, prior to me taking up uh, proper training. Um, I remember being labeled a pretty boy, and I would get jumped all the time, and I would fight back. You know, it was like I remember in, in school I was fighting for like two weeks because <laughs> I was getting jumped almost every other day. You know, and um. Uh, it, it, I was labeled a pretty boy and, um, you know, and it, it really, it, it, it messed with me, you know, cause I didn't, I was scared. I was scared for my life. Um, I remember like after school, like people were like threaten me, you know, and then like, you know, like they're, they're going to stab me or something like that. Um, uh, so then I didn't start seeking out uh, proper boxing training until like, probably until I was like maybe 17, 18 years old. And is that early or late? That's very late, I think, yeah. in uh, in the world of martial arts and, and especially in boxing. My first yeah. training was probably boxing, um, and I just had like I just bumped into a couple of people, street guys that like they were like older than me. I was like eighteen, and they were like in their thirties already. And um, uh, a couple of street guys, you know, um, and then uh, they just wanted to help me be tough. Um, so I remember like, you know, we would like just beat the crap out of each other actually. And, and I would always wind up like on the ground, you know. Uh, it, it wasn't until like that desire to want to learn more uh, that, that I ended up in uh, uh, Gleason's gym in Brooklyn. Uh, and then I started taking proper uh, boxing lessons. I trained with them for a while. And then uh, one day uh, my friends and I, uh, who used to beat the crap out of me all the time, full grown men, you know, and then um, I sparred them um, and I held my own. And one guy, one of my best friends is like, actually, I broke his ribs. <laughs> yeah, so I, I broke his ribs, <laughs> my friend's ribs. And, um, and yeah, like I, I, I felt that's, that's really was my only goal in like fighting. It just like, I just wanted to beat up my friends, you know? <laughs> and, then, um, and then I just kept training. Um, I, I did a couple of amateur like uh, boxing, um, nothing nothing crazy, just some local shows and stuff here and there. Um, I fought in Gleason's, I fought in like the Armory, um, you know, and it, nothing crazy because my, my focus now was like more to at the business, the business part of things. That's good stuff, man. It's really interesting, bro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. This, I this probably forgot a lot, but <laughs> you no, brought me it's back. Tight. It's, it's tight. It's tight. Sorry. Oh, I I want to. Because my, my tendency in this is to interject more, but I know for the audio, I, I want to give you clean cuts so that, like, yeah. but I'm, I'm very interested. Okay, cool. Yeah, this is tight. It's all about you, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, thanks. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. No, whatever. 
whatever you need to yeah. say what you need yeah. to say. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, can, uh, well, one, I'm, I'm curious about a couple of things. One is, uh, how did your parents feel, but also, or how do they feel about you, uh, stepping to the fight world? Also being like, I'm sure like protective Filipino parents, yeah, yeah. but, but also I'm curious about like what your first experience was within like, uh, a controlled fight environment. Cause when I hear certain stories like that, um, everyone's experience is like, you know, pretty unique. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, great question. Um, so my parents were not happy. <laughs> <laughs> being Filipino. Um, and when um, I, I remember my first fight and I invited my, uh, my, my father, my aunt, I, I pretty much invited everyone. So it was my brother, my father and stuff like that. So uh, my first fight was with a lefty from Philly. He was, he was from Philly um, and uh, I beat him. Um, but, you know, I beat him. <laughs> so after the fight, I was like all excited and everything, you know, and then, um, and then my father, uh, uh, pulled me to the side and he just like looked at me and like, son, don't go professional. And I'm like, what the, f- what the hell? And, you know, like what, what the hell? So, you know, after it was all said and done, I went home, you know, cause at the time I was still living with my parents. Um, and then my mother pulls me to the side and it's like, son, <laughs> I hope you're not going professional because this is not where I want you to go to do. And then my aunt at the time was living with us who also said, you know, like, don't mess up your face. You know, you're too good looking for that and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, damn, man, what the hell, you know? So I think that had a lot to do with, you know, obviously, like, I like to be rebel against my parents. But looking back now, I, you know, I do respect my parents. And I do respect their wishes, and it kind of like altered my my view on where I wanted to go. I, I had no like direction of where I wanted to take boxing or fighting. I didn't even think you could make money because at the time I thought that my path was in business because my parents would always instill in that it's the Filipino thing. It's like very entrepreneurial spirit. They want you to make your own money, do your own thing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So fighting for me was kind of like my first fight was like boom down. You're not, you're not going professional. Stop this nonsense. That's it. But um, I went behind their back anyway. I just kept like doing it. <laughs> I just stopped inviting them to fight. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, that's pretty much their story. How long did you, uh, how long did you uh, fight in the ring for? And when did you choose to step away? And what was, yeah, that's a great question. It was, it, was, it was like, like I said, my, my, I, I'm really not interested in fighting. For me, I think looking back now, I'm more interested in experience um, because my goal was always to help people. Um, being, I, I, I was a personal trainer since I was like 17, 18 years old uh, because I was surrounded by people that were like um, gym guys. I was always in the gym. Um, so as far as, as fighting is concerned, it was always part of my life but I never really cared much about like the fighting aspect of it. Cause it's frankly speaking, it's fucking stressful. Um, you know, cause I, I boxed and I also fight in, I fought in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu as well. So that's like two different worlds. So that's like a complete part of my life. So around maybe 2006, 2007, I decided to open up a, a, a boxing gym. So at the time, I, op- I owned and operated my own personal training studio, but I was ready to move on to something bigger, which is some- turned something 
Well, I thought like I was very passionate about boxing. I loved the workout. I felt that it was something that you could provide people and help them. So I figured I'd open up a gym. So that's what I did. Um, so in Staten Island, I own a, a 6,000 square foot gym. Uh, at the time it was called Universal Boxing Gym. And uh, it was pretty successful for a little bit. Uh, but the recession of 2008 decimated my my business and, and, and a lot of other people's business. Um, and looking back, um, I can blame it part on that, but it was all, I could also blame part of it on me. And this is the grown up talking, um, taking responsibility of like, you know, I, I was pretty young when I had it. Uh, I had a huge ego, um, you know, like being a fighter is like having a huge ego. So being an entrepreneur is like, is, is being braggadocious and, and all that stuff. So I was really, really like, like just running on ego. And, uh, the, when I lost it all. I lost uh, both gyms, uh, I had no money. I had, my friends were pretty much just paying for my dinner. Um, I had to move back with my parents. And uh, yeah, and that was like a, a huge, like ego, <laughs> my ego was gone, let's just put it that way. It was just like, really, I, was, I, did a, I had to do a lot of soul searching. <laughs> How old were you at the time? Um, man, I think I was in like 30, 31, 32 maybe, you know? Um, yeah, that was a couple of years ago, 2008. Hmm. So 2008, so it's 10 years ago. Uh, <clears throat> how much of that do you, at least the ego part, <clears throat> excuse me, how much of the ego part do you attribute to, you know, um, your, uh, your, your personality, your, your, and uh, also like a cultural thing and also like even, uh, coming up as an immigrant, you yeah. know, uh-huh. like, or, or, and the, and the desire to want to overcome and, and also prove yourself like, you know, what, what was the, the spread there? Man, um, personal like I, versus external. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I said, my father's first advice to me was like, "You'll never be good enough." So off the bat, I already have a chip on my shoulder, you know. So I was always trying to prove myself. Um, learning to have an ego was was looking back, it was it was false. And what I mean by false, it was a false sense of confidence. It's like it's kind of like act as if you know, act as if like you're a champion and you'll be a champion or, you know, act like you're successful and you'll be successful. Um, so all that was like all a front, you know, to be honest, it was just all a front. It's not who I am. Um, are there still parts of me that's very like, uh, 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 like super like that? Um, I think now it's more like I understand better. I understand that what I'm capable of and what I'm, what I'm not capable of and just being honest with myself, that gives me the confidence to be myself because I've, I've looked at the, the gates of hell in a sense and like, you know, and the gates of hell look back and, and, and I'm pretty much, I, and I live through it. So the confidence is more of an inner confidence now as opposed to like a fake, uh, 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 you know, putting on airs, you know, um, you know, it's something that I had to learn. Yeah. You know, and how'd you how'd you dig out? Oh man, it was uh, I was in the trench for a couple of years. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, I did a lot of soul searching, uh, and what I mean by that is like, you know, when you're lost, you know, and when you're thirsty, you know, everything looks good, you know to quench that thirst. And what I mean by that is like, you know, I would go I would go read books on personal development this, that, from one program, one, tra- one training program to the next, one personal development program to the next. Man, you, 
any every any personal development training I was out there I was paying for because I was like lost and I was looking for myself um and it took a while it took a couple of years um and at the time I think when I started to find myself again was uh when I was living in the Upper West Side and I was doing a lot of meditation um I would walk every single day to uh around the Jacqueline Reservoir and it, it was like a 45 minute walk and every morning I would walk that and I would like self-meditate like, you know, um, for example, you know, it was, I, I called it a walking meditation for me. Um, so one of the things I would do is like one segment was just like, just what was going on in my life. I would speak to myself. And then the second segment would be like, what am I grateful for in my life? And the third segment is just like, you know, what I wanted to manifest in my life. Um, so I guess that was the part. Um, and I had to like actually start to forgive myself. That was the biggest lesson for me. It's like to forgive myself for all my failures, all my, yeah, the things that I haven't forgiven myself to. It just started to heal. I just started to heal myself. Um, and that's when I guess uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu came into my life, you know, because um, when I lost it all, I had all this energy, you know, and I just like, like just needed to get it out and 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 um you know i i i'm a brazilian jiu-jitsu brown belt right now but i could tell you every like because like almost every promotion is like every four years so you have white blue purple and brown i was a different person at white blue purple and now i'm brown and uh when i'm now you're that, brown yes yeah <laughs> so one more step and then and you become a black belt um so as a white belt, when I first entered it, there was a lot of chaos going on in my life. So my technique was chaotic. I was very like frenetic, like it was a, it was a street fight. <laughs> so if you, if you know anything about Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, it's just like, it's a, it's a grappling sport. It has nothing to do with boxing, punching people. It's just grappling, submission grappling. But I was just like a ball of freaking energy and just like ready to kill people. I had a lot of hate in my heart. Um, and then as a blue belt, you start to learn a little bit more. I still had a lot of hate in my heart, but it was like focused hate, you know? And then at purple belt, something started to happen. I realized that, you know, um, uh, it's just like, it's not about me anymore. And, and what I mean by that is like, I was representing something bigger than myself, which was my, my teacher. At the time, I couldn't see that. Um, um, my teacher's name is Marcelo Garcia. Uh, uh, is Marcelo Garcia Academy, but he he just he just like saw the best in us, you know, and and I started to see that and I started to believe in that, and uh, in 2015, uh, that's when I started to like really make a run for for like a, 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 a the world championships and competitions. I was competing almost every other month that year. Um, you know, my first competition that year was like Boston. I took like second place. I had to fight three guys. Um, and then I fought in, um, I think, where was it? It was in Las Vegas, I think. And Las Vegas, I, I bombed. <laughs> I bombed. I lost the first round. I was like, oh, man, it was like a world championship. And I was like, oh, man, forget this. Um, and then... Um, and then a week later, man, it was what's called the Pan Americans, which is like a no-gi uh, competition. Man, it was like, I did not want to be there. I was like, I was just still remembering what I lost last week. And I was just like, man, I, I, I just want to run. I just want to go home. Nobody's going to remember. I remember like staying there, like, like 
man, I'm like, I don't want to fight. I don't want to do this. <laughs> I was like, I should leave, you know? And then next thing you know, they call my name up, boom. And then, um, and then uh, like, I'm like, I'm already in the fight, you know? I'm like, and then, and then like, before you know it, I won. I was like, all right, fuck it, I'm here. <laughs> and then the next guy I was supposed to fight got disqualified. He never showed up. <laughs> so I'm waiting for 45 minutes, like on the sidelines, you know, just like waiting to fight the, last, the next guy. And I'm watching this guy, and then, um, this guy's like, man, I hope, I, hope I, I see this guy. He's like, he's just manhandling this guy. I was like, I hope I don't fight him, man. He's like, he looks bigger than me. It's like, my division's not that big, you know? This is just all this stuff is going through my head. I'm like, man, he's pretty good. I was like, he's gonna kill, he's gonna kill someone. I wanna fight him. And then, it, like, all of a sudden, they call my name. And I'm like, all right, so I'm like standing there. So the, the pin is like here. He's like standing two, two feet away from him. It's like, it's him. I'm like, oh shit. You know? <laughs> it's like, how's this possible? It's like, he's bigger than me. Why is he in my division? You know? But then next thing you know, like, you know, we touch hands, we, we bump fists. And next thing you know, we're in it. Um, he takes me down a couple of times and I'm like, damn, you know, so I'm behind points. I'm losing. So finally, you know, I got into the rhythm of my things and then like, you know, he took me down and then like I just stayed down and then we started fighting and next thing you know, I submitted him what's called a, a Kimura. Uh, so I pretty much uh, snapped his shoulder. Uh, yeah, so it's like <laughs> this. <laughs> and I didn't realize that was the finals. So this guy was like, the guy that I was like afraid of, like, you know, just snapped his shoulder. And um, and then I took the gold and I won the world, uh, the Pan Americans. Uh, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as a purple belt, and then um, later on, I find out he was like like a, what's called a, like a Division One wrestler, which is like he was like a coach for wrestling, you know. So he has tremendous amount more experience than me. Right, right. So w why did I bring that up? Is like it, it, these are the things that I'm I, the experiences that that started to develop my confidence. So what I learned in that in that in that um that day was just like you know even though you don't want to be there, just show up because it may be your day. Yeah. And then uh, a month later, um, I was in California and, and I fought for the, 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 the world championships in my division. And um, lo and behold, I'm, I became a world champion in, in <laughs> Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and as a purple belt. So. Wow. And then at, at that, and then what I learned from that was just like hard work, focus, and uh, dedication really you know, pays off. How did you recover between fights? Because it sounds like you were fighting all the time. What was your recovery process in between all that? Uh, that's a great question. Um, the recovery process is kind of like, it, it's it when you train so hard, the recovery is like, it's just part of the program. Um, but I do recall in the world championships, I did have the flu or something. Because um, I was sick when I got there. Uh, I fought uh, four people. I submitted one guy and... And then after that, I was done. I was done. I went to my, I went back to my uh, 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 hotel, and I just like, I, I just couldn't move. I was just crippled, you know. So all that energy was conserved for just the fights, and I was done. Um, and then uh, I went to uh, my, my, my. Fortunately, my cousin was there, and we went to In and Out Burgers <laughs> to celebrate. But I was like out of it. <laughs> okay, I gotta ask you, like, when you submit. Uh, uh, via Kimura, right? Yeah. Are you intending to snap someone's shoulder or is always the threat of the snap? And when the snap happens, were you like, I wanted to, ha well, I wanted that? Or uh -huh. is that, you know? Uh, that's just, a great question. Yeah. Um, or is, or is, that, is that your the your partner or your, you Yeah, know? yeah. No, it's it, that's a great <clears throat> question. So to answer your question really quick, 
it is not intended to to snap the other person's shoulder intentionally, but if they don't submit or they don't tap, it will. That's the the point of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So why I went for the kill at this point is because I fought a guy. Uh, he was like, a, it, it was called the absolute division, meaning like any weight class can fight. And I remember fighting in, in an absolute division like um, a couple of months prior to that. And I fought in the absolute and this guy was like a monster. He was like, I'm like, at the time I was fighting at 175 and he was around 230, 40 pounds. And he was like a mountain of a man. And I was like, I remember making a grip, grabbing him and I couldn't move him. And the next thing you know, he tackles me and he's just marauding me. And I had the Kimura, but I didn't crank it all the way. I, I just cranked it to a point where it was like, I was threatening him and then he just like exploded out of it. And I learned that to, I, I swear to, I, I swore to myself that it would never happen again, that I would go for the kill or go for the, the snap, um, unless the person taps, obviously. So that's what I did. Uh, so the Kimura is very dangerous. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is dangerous. It's intended to hurt people. They call it the gentle art, but there's nothing gentle about it. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> uh, what's your What's your daily regimen? How do you How do you maintain <clears throat> How do you maintain your physicality now that you're kind of out of out of that life and more into a training world? Like where yeah. Where Yeah, where are you at right now? Uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, um, I mean, I'm 39 now. I'll be 40 in in two months. Um, Happy birthday! Thank you. Yeah. Um, I kind of just like just do it. And when I meet my dad, it's just like, um, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is like a part of my life. Um, it, it's something that if I were to just box and cause I, I, I do boxing all the time. Um, I think I would go crazy and want to meet my, or, or just like not be so into it. Uh, but because Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is completely different, it's like, it has nothing to do with punching or anything like that. It, it forces me to do other things. Um, it keeps me interested. Um, but this year, for some reason, I've gotten back into the swing of like boxing, you know, because like here we have a team training and, and I kind of like working out with the, with the, the my staff. Um, so the physical, my day to day is like morning, I do administrative stuff. Um, I teach class uh, uh, at 10 a.m. here, uh, um, Monday to Friday. And then, and then middle of the day, I generally work out. Um, whether Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and sun Saturdays is boxing or strength and conditioning. Hmm. Um, and everything else is just like uh, managing the gym. Do you have any rituals? What gets you psyched before, you know, you're about to get into a mode? That's a great question. Um, what gets me into the mode is I do have a ritual. Rituals are crucial. Um, uh, some of the best athletes uh, I've found, because um, I've studied NLP as well. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's called Neuro Linguistic Programming. Um, Tony Robbins made it very very famous back in the 80s and the 90s. Um, I'm a licensed practitioner. Um, this was during the time where I was in search of who I was. <laughs> so like I said, I was looking for um, something. Uh, but I did find that there are, are, are what's called modeling. So I've I've watched a lot of like athletes there are some there are definitely key things things that they do ritually you know before they step on stage before they fight 
from the beginning to the end that they do um, that sets them up for success. So one of my things is just like, for me, it's just, you know, I, I'm not religious uh, as I used to be when I was younger, but I'm de definitely very spiritual. Um, before every, every time I, 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 I get ready, prepare, I, before I even stretch, I would like, I would like to make the sign of the cross, even though I know that that's a religious um, uh, a thing. But for me, it's just like, um, just thanking the, thanking the spirit, thanking the universe for the opportunity to train to have a healthy body. And, uh, and that's pretty much it. And then I stretch and I get my mind focused. What are the most rewarding parts of what you do right now? Like, whoa, like where do you feel oh, the most fulfilled? Man, so it, it, it all comes full circle. So remember when I said that um, my, my goal is always to help people? So when I am, when uh, the most rewarding thing right now for me is like being able to give back to um, my staff, uh, younger fighters, um, people, men that haven't gone through what I've gone through maybe uh, in a coaching, I guess it's like a life coaching, you know, that, like, that's what they like to call it because I've had life coaches in my life too because I used to pay for that stuff. Um, but what I've realized is like the experiences that I've, I, I can only give people my experiences. Uh, so the most rewarding things right now is just seeing my friends, seeing my fighters, seeing my staff succeed. Um, the most uh, the most rewarding thing being a general manager here um, have provided for me was when I have a professional fighter. Uh, I'm not gonna name his name. It's just like he was a professional fighter um, and he was, he was working at Home Depot. And uh, one day he just turns to me and just like, you know, thanks to you, I'm finally in a place in my life where like I'm happy because I'm, I'm able to work here, do what I love and share what my love. So to me, that was worth, you know, everything. Uh, you know, seeing my, my staff grow, seeing my staff gel, um, seeing my fighters develop, seeing my friends go from like an experience that I may have like experienced and like give them an advice that may have helped them out. Uh, you know, it is, is really, it's gratifying, you know? And, and I think that for me, that that's why I fight. Mm -hmm. uh, that I just wanted to experience. I want to be able to like experience it so that when I do talk about it, there's integrity with what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, there's, it's like, I've been there. I've been through the fire. You know, I've been through hell and back. I could tell you how it is, <laughs> you know, instead of like bullshitting people, you know, which would have been me probably 20 years ago. Right. You know, so, um, do you yeah. feel like you're, you're, you have more integrity now? Absolutely. Cause, uh, there, I don't need to put on airs. Like I, I am who I am. I'm, this is how I am no matter where I am. Um, you know, my social media is the same, you know, it's like, like I'll speak from my heart, you know, and I really don't give a fuck what you think. Mm. Cause I used to think what a lot of people, I used to care what other people think because, you know, um, it's just society, my parents upbringing, being a Filipino. Um, but I had to learn the hard way that, you know, like nobody really cares, you know, you just be yourself. Right. Yeah. Um, is there anything special about, um, being an immigrant, being Filipino, um, also living in New York and working, uh, like, like working, living here at overthrow, like at, uh, in Brooklyn, is there something about that combination that's special to you or anything that you can pull out of that, that feels like that creates like a specific, juice or specific specialness related to you? 
Um, that's a great question. Um, I think being an immigrant and coming to this country, my only experience has just been like, um, I just remember how it is in the Philippines. And what I mean by that is like the poverty and people are still find their ways to be happy. Um, people that have and people that don't have there, it's just, you know, it like, like the average income there or the average person making, let's just say that $1 here is 50 pesos over there. So you're multiplying your money by so, so much. And, you know, there have been many times where I moved, I, I, I went back and, and visited my family and I'm really wealthy here. And, and what I mean by that is not by financial or anything like that, the experiences, the things that I have, but like for what they want, they, they see it as like, it, it's something that like, you can't really like put a, put your finger on it. It's kind of like, you just have to experience it and just like be grateful for what you have, what you don't have. And, um, but yeah, I think it's because I lived it and it gives me that drive. I wouldn't say it's like a drive that's like, ah, you know, all the time. It's like constant, you know what I mean? It's constant. It's like a belief in yourself. It's a belief in what you're trying to do is, is good. Um, yeah, you know, hmm. I, don't know if, I don't know if that answered all your questions. Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, uh, one couple and then I'll see if... Uh there any that we need to like oh what what uh why do you think you work with overthrow or like what why how does overthrow work with you you know what i mean <laughs> that's a great question because this place is really specific <laughs> yeah <laughs> and this place is dope it's just yeah no i mean i fit i feel at home when i'm here sometimes you know um i mean i remember the first time i taught a class at overthrow i really felt at home because i could be who i who i was just because there was no judgments um to me overthrow is it's not just a gym, it's, it's a movement, in my opinion. Um, you know, with the state of the world right now, with all the racism and all that stuff, I think it's like a beacon of light. Uh, you know, at, at the time when I was teaching, I saw overthrow as just an opportunity for me to like grow myself as a person, as a trainer, professionally. But the more I got involved in what, what, what the owner was trying to show the world like what are you fighting for uh the diversity it's it's really who new york and america is it's like it stands for so much you know it's not just boxing it's not just fitness it's not just health it's just culturally it's 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 diversity um you know it's it's really just like a beacon of light to me that's really what what i what i how I see uh, uh, overthrow. It's an, it's an opportunity to make a difference. Just one more question. Yeah. Yes, you, uh, I think that what, what your dad told you when you first came here uh -huh. was, you know, that's very memorable. Is there something you tell your fighters to, uh, to motivate them or to instigate the better in them when you meet or when you first start training? Uh, yeah. So the question is, um, is there something that I say to people or my fighters to motivate them? Um, you know, having gone through all these personal development programs have, have taught me a couple of things, a couple of tricks from a coaching aspect. And what I mean by that is like, you really get to see what's important in people's lives. What really is their core value? And what I mean by that is, for example, you know, rich, you know, um, 
Why do you want to fight? So your answer could be, because I want to win. What's even more important than winning, Rich? And then, and you're like, I don't know, um, you know, because because I like it. What's even more important than being liked, Rich? And you just keep going, layering, layering. Well, you know, eventually that core value, core, the thing that really drives people uh, is the root. And um, that's what I'm after. And it could be like, you know, why I really fight is because I just want to be loved. I just want to be accepted. So it's not really about winning. It's about being accepted or whatever that, that driving force may be. So that's generally like, you know, what are the, some of the things that I ask uh, 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 my fighters? And, and that's more of a psychology question. Sports psychology, I guess, even though I've never done any sports psychology, but I think that's one aspect of it because I think that that can translate to, to sports and that can translate to business, that can translate to my clients, that can translate to people's motivating factors in life. Um, so yeah, that, 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 that would be the answer. So jujitsu is not, not just jujitsu. I think anything could be spiritual. Anything could be spiritual. Boxing could be spiritual. Taking the garbage is spiritual. <laughs> it could be spiritual. <laughs> it's just the way you see it, you know, uh, and what I mean by taking out the garbage is like, you know, Hey, listen, like maybe the garbage is, uh, you know, you're taking out the trash and you drop something and you could just leave it there and just like hope that nobody sees it. Or you could just pick it up and just like make, make it count. Like, look, everything matters. Everything matters in life. Like picking up that trash so that another person don't have to do it. Or it just like, it just, it just adds value to, to everyone's life. So anything could be spiritual, but yes, sports has um, an opportunity to provide people to see themselves in a way that they've never done, especially competition. Um, because you get to really see that all that braggadociousness and stuff like that doesn't mean anything when you're bumping up against somebody that wants something more than you. And then you start to really see who you, who you are as a person and see and, and, and make improvements that you need to do in order for you to win. Cool. Beautiful, man. <laughs> So thanks to Ro for that conversation. That was actually a really spiritual one. And uh, I actually had a lot of takeaways that I think I'll carry for a long time. So thanks again to Ro the show for sitting down and talking. Also, if you want to find Ro on social media, it's just Ro, R-O, the show, one word, on Instagram. And I want to give it up to Desjin, our sponsor, Ben Sounds on Music. Also, thanks again to Matteo Liberatore for uh, recording all the audio for this conversation. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you want to follow me on social media, it's rich underscore TU on Instagram, Twitter, and all those other places. Thanks for listening to First Generation Burden. Come back next week. We have another fun one for you. I'm Rich too. Bye.